Hello, this is Angelique with the Gaston County Public Library, and you are listening to the Book to the Library podcast, the audio recordings of the Book to the Library author talks. On March 5th, 2019, author Kimmery Martin visited the library to discuss her debut novel, The Queen of Hearts, and the challenges of publishing. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to see you all here. I hope you enjoyed your lunch. So I do want to uh, welcome you to the Gaston County Public Library. My name is Dandrea Bradley, and I'm the program coordinator here. Um, I do want to thank you all so much for coming out today and, and for supporting our program. Um, I would also like to thank the friends of the Gaston County Public Library for making this event possible and providing a wonderful lunch for us, which I will partake in momentarily. <laughs> Uh, without their support and generosity, we would not be able to provide the quality programming that we have here at the main library and the other branch libraries that are spread throughout our county. Um, and if you are interested in learning more about how you can support the Gaston County Public Library, I want you to please consider joining the Friends of the Library. Um, there are brochures like this in the back um, on our announcements table, so feel free to take one and look through it. Hopefully you'll fill out the form that's included and send that back in. Um, it's very affordable. It's $10 a year for an individual, uh, 15 for family, and it, it comes with a lot of great perks and benefits, so I highly recommend that if you are interested, definitely pick up one of these brochures. Um, I am very excited because I get to introduce our guest speaker for today. Uh, Dr. Kimmery Martin is an emergency medicine physician who was born and raised in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. She now lives in Charlotte with her husband and her three young children. Her debut novel, The Queen of Hearts, weaves together an intricate story of friendship and family, betrayal and forgiveness, lost love, and the choices that define our lives. It was named one of the most anticipated books of 2018 by Southern Living Magazine and has been called witty, powerful, and full of heart. In a statement about what inspired her to write The Queen of Hearts, she said that she wanted to explore the remarkable privilege that both doctors and writers share, and that's witnessing life from its first breath to its last. It's truly a pleasure to have her here with us today. Will you please join me in welcoming Dr. Kimmery Martin. Hi. Um, thank you guys so much for being here today. And thank you, Dandria, for that really nice introduction. It made me sound a lot more profound than I am. Thank you. Um, before I get started, I thought you guys might get a kick out of a text I got from one of my kids. Um, as she mentioned, I have three children, and I've been on this little book tour, and so it kind of takes about a 40-page manifesto for me to be able to get out the door. I have to write out where everybody's supposed to be and when and who's going to get them there and what happens if they can't. And I get this text from my youngest child that says, Mommy, I barfed. <laughs> and then the next text says, all over dad <laughs> and his bed <laughs> and the floor, and I'm not going to school. <laughs> so, parenthood, right? Um, 
So yes, I'm Kimberly Martin. I'm the author of The Queen of Hearts, and um, I'm really excited to be giving this talk in a library. I am a huge book nerd and a really big supporter of libraries. Um, I actually am on a committee in Charlotte right now where we are trying to raise $90 million to build a new downtown flagship library, which I think will be this iconic treasure for the city. Um, and I especially love libraries for two reasons. First, obviously, they are the great repositories of human knowledge, but they are also the great equalizer in society. Libraries are for everybody. They offer their resources and their treasures to all of us, and um, that is such an important thing to me. I actually tell everybody that I grew up in a library because um, I did grow up in eastern Kentucky in the mountains outside of a town, and when I was a child, my mom used to take me every week to the library in Berea, Kentucky, which was the closest town to us, and we would take a red wagon and fill it up with books. Um, I eventually read every single book in the children's library, and then when I was in elementary school, my mom went back to work. She founded a nonprofit in the mountains um, related to childhood literacy, and I would wait for her every day after school in the college library in the same town, and I eventually read all of the fiction books in the adult section, um, which may explain why I turned out a little bit weird, but um, I really owe everything that I achieved in my education to libraries, so um, very honored to be here today. Um, I thought I would talk to y'all a little bit about um, my book and me and, and also the process of getting published because I found people are kind of interested in how I've transitioned from being a physician to being a writer. Um, I have all my life been, first and foremost, a devoted, fanatical, obsessive reader. I love reading. Um, and I've been really lucky because I've had these two great passions in my career. One, obviously, is writing. Um, but the other has been the practice of medicine. So I uh, went to medical school in Louisville, Kentucky. Then I came to North Carolina, did general surgery at Carolina's Medical Center uh, in an intern year, and then did a um, residency program in emergency medicine at Vanderbilt. And I have loved my career as an ER doctor. Um, but I also always kind of had this secret fantasy about being a writer. Um, I wanted to try doing the thing that has given me so much joy throughout my life. Um, authors are like my rock stars. Um, and I started writing a book with very little idea of how to do that and no idea whatsoever of how to get it published. Um, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, but first I'll say, since my book came out in hardcover a year ago, I've been asked to do a lot of speaking engagements like this one, and it did not come naturally to me. Um, I found it really nerve-wracking to get up in front of a lot of people and talk. And, um, oh, no, can I remove this? The, um, the, the first talk I ever gave anybody was to a group of sixth graders, um, which is a tough audience, which is why some of you are laughing, you must know. Um, my children's school asked if I would come and talk to the sixth grade about the process of being a writer. And I'm not, I'm kind of a winged person. I don't usually prepare a lot for things, but for this, I prepared. I made slides. I planned what I was going to say. Um, I talked to the kids a little bit about the publishing process, like how you have to get a literary agent to represent you if you want to traditionally publish a novel. And I talked to them about how 
if your agent sells your book to a big publisher, they'll pay you in advance um, some money up front. And I talked to them um, a lot about the process of, of structuring a story, you know, how you have your character's arc over time and how you hook a reader in with plot elements and, and how stories kind of hold together. Um, but mostly, I thought that I would talk to the kids about how writing gives you a voice. How you can share your thoughts with other people literally all over the world. And how you can learn from other people and make connections and, and share things. Um, and this, this slideshow is kind of an example of that because when my book was published, it wound up having this completely gorgeous cover. And so I asked people online if they would take pictures of it wherever they live or travel. Um, because I thought the cover was so beautiful. And I wound up with pictures from all seven continents, including Antarctica. And the reason I got Antarctica is because there's an ER doctor stationed there um, on McMurdo Station. <laughs> um, and I probably have, I don't know, dozens and dozens and dozens of countries that people have sent me these photos from. And through that, I've gotten to know people all over the globe. I have a group of friends now in Kosovo who are male dental students. Um, I would have never known anything about Kosovo if it hadn't been for them. I have friends in Iceland and Brazil and all these places, and it has been the most remarkable thing to get to know people all over the world from just having written a book. And to kind of tie this into the kids, I told them the story of Malala Yousafzai, the girl from Pakistan, are you all familiar with her, who blogged about what her life was like as a, as a <laughs> girl in a village controlled by the Taliban and how ultimately she survived an assassination attempt where they shot her and um, she went on to become the youngest recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. And um, So I finished on an inspirational note, opened up the floor for questions to the kids and this little boy raises his hand and he said, how much did you get paid in your advance? <laughs> so this was the first talk I'd given. I didn't know anything about pivoting and spinning and answering the question you want to answer instead of the question you've been asked. And so I went and told him how much I got paid. And then about a week later, I get a packet in the mail. And it is handwritten letters from all the kids in the sixth grade thanking me for coming to talk to them. Um, and I opened up the first one and read it from a little boy, and it said, Dear Dr. Martin, thank you so much for coming to talk to us about the process of becoming a writer. And from this I have learned, I do not want to become a writer. <laughs> <laughs> Dummy. And the second one was from a little girl, and it said, Dear Dr. Martin, I want to be a doctor and a writer just like you, and I asked my mom if we could buy your book and read it together, and she said, absolutely not. <laughs> so that's kind of a segue into what the story is about. <laughs> um, uh, I was lucky when it, um, when it first came out. It's really hard to be a debut novelist. It's hard to get anyone to read books, period, let alone to read a book from somebody they've never heard of. Um, and I wound up being lucky because the book got reviewed in a number of significant sources. It was in the New York Times, and it was in newspapers all over the country and magazines. And um, I'm going to read you all my favorite quote, see if you can tell where this is from. It says, um, Kimberly Martin's first novel has got love, death, humor, secrets, hot doctor sex, and a medical procedure performed with a fork. Does that sound like something you might be interested in reading? So, believe it or not, that quote is from NPR. 
which I love because if you say NPR, it just automatically kind of confers this sense of the cerebral onto whatever you're talking about, even when it's this. Um, but it also explains maybe why the little girl's mother didn't want her to read it. Um, the story is about two women who have been lifelong friends. Um, one of them is a cardiologist, hence the title and the cover. And uh, one of them is a trauma surgeon, and they live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And one of them is hiding this very significant secret from the other one um, that comes out during a time of big professional crisis for both of them. Um, and I, I think the book has several themes. Um, one of them is, is parenthood and the humor inherent in parenting. Um, I had young children at the time that I was writing it, so I had all this fodder running around. Um, one of the other themes, of course, is um, the practice of medicine. I love reading books myself where you kind of get this fly-on-the-wall glimpse of, of some industry or some setting that I don't know very much about. And so the Queen of Hearts does give you an inside look at what it's like to be a doctor, you know, what motivates us, um, what scares us, what our training is like. And for me, medical school was this very formative period in my life. Um, we worked incredibly hard, but we played hard. And I wound up forging these amazing friendships with these women that have lasted for decades. Um, and I wanted to try to capture a little bit of that intensity and camaraderie into the book. Um, the book is also a little bit of a love story. Um, more technically, it's a little bit of a love-gone-wrong story, um, kind of an anti-romance. Um, there's a character in the book that represents that person in your past that you know you should not have been attracted to, and yet you were. Um, sometimes when I say that, people laugh and nod, and sometimes people just look at me. So <laughs> it might just be me that had that in my past. Um, but it's not a, a typical love story. Um, and then ultimately, at its heart, the, the book is an exploration of the complexities and the joys of friendship, and particularly how far you would go to forgive someone you love who betrays you. Um, I, as I mentioned, I didn't really know how to write a book when I wrote the book. So I sat down and started, and I want to say it took me maybe nine or ten months to get a rough first draft. Um, I realized really early on, maybe a couple weeks into it, that I was completely hooked. Yeah, I would wake up dreaming about this novel and have to get out of bed and write stuff down, or I would have to pull over to the side of the road because I had a thought and I couldn't wait, or I'd stop exercising. And I figured if I found it that compelling, it was something I really wanted to continue doing. You know how when you find something you love doing, you think about it a lot? Um, that's what it was like for me. I finished the first draft, and then I started getting serious about figuring out what to do with it. Um, so I got people to read it. I sent an email out to all my friends and said, I don't want you guys to read this because you know me and you won't be honest, but can you refer me to somebody that reads a lot or that has an English degree or that is a journalist or has some writing background um, who might be willing to look at this for me? And I got feedback and I made a lot of changes and revised it. And around that same time, I started trying to figure out how I could get an agent, a literary agent, to represent me. Um, and the way that process works is daunting. So if you want to get a novel published by one of the big New York publishing houses, you do have to have this agent represent you. And the way that you get them interested is not by sending them your manuscript. 
Instead, you send them a one-page letter, and in this one page, you have a couple of paragraphs to describe your book and describe its plot, and you have to make it concise but compelling, you know, really hooky and interesting, and you have to make it sound similar enough to other books that the agent recognizes so that they know it will sell, but different enough so that they feel like it's fresh and unique and interesting. And then you have to describe yourself in a couple of paragraphs, or in one paragraph usually. And you have to make yourself sound interesting and compelling and not scary and desperate, which is kind of what you are. And agents, my agent that I ultimately signed with gets about 400 of these letters a week. And she might sign a handful of clients a year. So the odds are really daunting. Um, on the basis of that letter, they might ask to see a few more pages, and on the basis of those pages, they might ask to see the whole manuscript. But mostly what I got when I sent this thing out was nothing. <laughs> Turned out I was really bad at writing the query letter. I had dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of either rejections or non-responses of the letter. Um, and it got to the point where I would hear my computer make the noise that an email was coming in, and I would just feel my face flame up in shame. Um, I'd get all hot and red because I knew it was going to be another rejection of my letter. <laughs> it was like Pavlovian how I would hear the computer and then get ashamed. Um, I think I had more than 100 rejections. And obviously the story has a happy ending. Um, but writers really like to tell the story of how they met their agent. It's kind of like women like to do the story of childbirth or, you know, it's a big event in your life. And so I thought I would read to you a little piece that I wrote um, about the day I got my agent. And it's called The Call. When I was an aspiring author, I read every query letter success story I could get my hands on. There was a common theme to these essays, uh, which tended to go something like this. The writer, having long since ever given up hope that she will see her novel published, is strolling through Target one day when her phone rings, and she looks down, and it's the 212 area code. And she glances at it, promptly suffers a small, excited seizure. This is it. The call. She answers to find the agent of her dreams on the other end burbling effusive praise for the manuscript. They chat for an hour about their goals and aspirations for the book. After they've hung up, the writer shrieks with glee and much like a newly engaged person, publishes a long, heartfelt ode to joy on Facebook and calls everyone she's ever met. My call went nothing like this, given that it happened on one of the worst days of my life. It was so bad, in fact, that I experienced the strange sensation of knowing that my book would likely be published, but feeling nothing. No wild joy, no exhilaration, no urge to share the news with anyone. So I was driving my kids to school one day when the phone rang. And I know what you're thinking, but it was 6.50 in the morning, and nobody ever calls with good news at 6.50 in the morning. And it was my sister. And she immediately asked me to take her off the speakerphone. Roseanne is dying, she said. Roseanne's my stepmother. Um, she had been a central part of my life since I was tiny. 
and I had seen her only a few weeks before when we went hiking in the mountains. A college professor, Roseanne was in perfect health. She was young, she exercised daily, had no medical problems. She had had a virus a few days before and had abruptly gotten much worse. So I dropped the children at school, headed straight for the interstate, where I drove for the better part of the day through the fiercely beautiful mountains of the Blue Ridge, up and over the magnificent ridge lines of the Smokies, and into the foothills of the Appalachians in Kentucky. Hurry, my sister told me. They don't know how much longer she'll make it. Well, I drive fast anyway, but that day I drove like the proverbial bat out of hyperventilating through hairpin turns and skinny mountain passes and the minor congestion of Asheville and Knoxville as tears streamed down my face. I stopped for gas on a mountaintop in Tennessee, literally Rocky Top, and my phone pinged with an email. It was an agent in New York. She loved my voice, loved my manuscript, and wanted to represent me. So I can remember fluttering my hands to the heavens, overcome with the knowledge that this should be one of the happiest days of my life. Um, this agent was an A-plus on my carefully researched list, and she had only had the manuscript for a couple of days. So I fired back an email explaining that I had a family emergency and I didn't think I could talk. Could she wait a few days? And she responded that she could. And then, unbelievably, after more than a year and a half of fruitless trying, I would hear from six more agents within the next two days, and I spoke to none of them. After seven desperate hours of driving, I arrived at the hospital. My sister was there and her husband, um, our family's minister, a few of Roseanne's closest friends and colleagues, and most wonderfully, her sisters had managed to arrive uh, in time from as far away as New Hampshire and Florida. My father was not there. He too had died suddenly and shockingly in the midst of perfect health a few years before. So we held hands around her bed as the doctors told us there was no hope. We stood by her and told our favorite Roseanne stories and sang songs to her and held her hands and prayed and kissed her as she took her last breaths. Now, I have seen many people die in my career as a physician. I watched the monitor as her heart, racing along at a speed way too fast, began to slow. I knew when she had a few minutes left, and I knew when she only had a few seconds left. I recognized the other signs of imminent mortality, too, the peculiar depleted tone of her skin, which you only ever see in dying people, and the particular pattern of her breathing, the name of which I had learned in medical school. I had seen these things before, but I had never seen them in someone I loved. Now, I spoke to Jane, my now agent, a few days later. And by then, I had adjusted to the shock and the grief enough to function, but I still felt like this hollow, dimmed-out version of myself. And oddly, Jane's personality really cheered me. She's brisk and smart and confident and competent. Um, she's extremely New Yorky, very bossy. <laughs> and I'm extremely Southern, you know, very polite. <laughs> And so she tells me what to do, and I do it. <laughs> um, but trying to be sad around Jane was kind of like trying to be sad around a 
reincarnated Catherine Hepburn. Um, it was really easy to choose her. Um, and at first it seemed awful that these two things had happened on the same day. Along with the unadulterated misery of losing the person themselves, when you lose somebody you love, you lose your relationship with them. And as selfish as that sounds, there aren't that many people that really genuinely care what happens to you. So my father was my favorite person on earth. And he never knew uh, that I had written a book, let alone published one. And I think he would have been so proud if he had known. Um, but Roseanne did know that I was trying. Um, she knew how hard I was trying. And she's never going to learn in my book's success. If she had lived even one more day, I could have told her. But when I think about it now, I am sure she knows. So that's the end of the piece that I published about it. Um, that's kind of a sad story, so I won't end with that. Um, it, the story did get happier. Um, Jane took me on as a client. And within two weeks, she sold the book to Penguin Random House, who I think is the biggest publisher in the world. Um, and it would be another two years before they published it, um, a lot of changes back and forth. But um, eventually it did get published, and um, I got to experience the other side of literature. Um, now I'm not only a devoted, obsessive reader, but I'm a devoted, obsessive writer. Um, and ultimately, Penguin Random House went on to offer me a contract for multiple books um, set in a medical setting. Um, and that kind of actually leads me to one of my, um, my favorite things about the Queen of Hearts, which is the cover. Um, if you all have a chance, look at it up close. So you may not know this, but authors do not get to pick the covers of their books. They don't get veto power either. And they don't get to pick the titles of their books. If you're with a big publisher, the publisher does that. Um, so in my case, the graphic designer um, at Penguin asked me if I had any requests. And I said that I would like to have the cover have a vintage anatomic drawing of a heart to represent the protagonist's career as a cardiologist. And the publishers thought that it would gross people out to have a naked heart on the cover. So they, they put all these beautiful flowers over it. And um, the graphic designer told me that she picked a mixture of celebratory and funereal flowers to illustrate the circle of life in a medical practice. And she put some birds and bees in there. And the background color is the color of my website. Um, I have a book review website, by the way, kimmariemartin.com, where I uh, recommend reads and interview authors. Um, and the cover turned out to be probably the biggest selling point about the book. It's all over Instagram. People like it. I got, I got people to take all those pictures all over the place. It's gorgeous. Um, it wound up being on the best covers of 2018 list. Um, and it was so successful that the publishers told me they wanted to continue the concept of having the cover art reflect the medical specialty of the main character for the next books, which I think is a great idea. But my next novel is about a urologist. <laughs> so there's not enough flowers for that. <laughs> That's my favorite joke right now. Thank you. <laughs> um, so uh, that book should be out in probably March of 2020. Um, and I'll, I'll wrap it up here and uh, see if you all have any questions about 
the book itself or writing or me or anything related to any of that. And um, thank you again so much for coming out to listen to me talk. This has been the Book to the Library podcast featuring Kimberly Martin.